Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Big day in the baseball world, Alex. A huge day. Just a banner day for Twitter. Just just a massive day. We were recording this on a Monday night, and just, yeah, shit has hit the fan, man. If this podcast is auto-playing in your queue and you haven't looked at the title and description yet, you might think that we might spend the next hour and a half talking about the Astros and suspensions and the way that McKinsey consultants have changed the way that we watch baseball. Just absolutely laughable. We're talking about Jar Jar Binks, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> Uh, we are not going to be talking about the Astros scandal for 90 plus minutes because today is the day we are going to talk to Sean Doolittle. And there's no point in putting 35 minutes of useless speculation about what actually happened with the Astros and how this is going to affect the baseball world in the coming years and decades when we actually get to talk to a real baseball player about not the Astros, about yeah Star Wars. and Star Wars. Uh, Labor in baseball and making reality TV shows. So, Alex, there's no point in putting it off any longer. Here's our interview with World Series champion and Washington Nationals reliever, Sean Doolittle. We are joined for the very first time by a current Major League Baseball player, it's Sean Doolittle on the line. Sean, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. You had to go through the Odyssey to get on this internet chat call. The listener doesn't know that because <laughs> it's going to be production magic afterwards, but we just want everyone to know. Sean Doolittle, this man is committed. <laughs> hey, as we said in D.C., stay in the fight. And uh, it, was, it was a bumpy journey, but you know it's, we're here in this beautiful place. I guess now would be an appropriate time to congratulate you on winning the World Series. So, congrats are in order. <laughs> Thank you very much. And, Thank you, uh, man. And, uh, and congrats to you and Aaron also. I saw that you guys are celebrating your two-year anniversary today. Yeah, um, well, I'm celebrating it with you. She's celebrating it um, <laughs> d- downstairs watching Netflix. So, um, <laughs> no, but, um, but we... Um, also in that in that tweet that I did, I mentioned that we um, we actually eloped in October of 2017. So um, we she you know I I respect it. She set it up so that there's two anniversary dates that I have to remember. And um, <laughs> it's twice but, as much uh, work for you. Hey, it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me on my toes, but I respect the hustle. So, <laughs> um, but I appreciate that, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, we that was probably. That was that, right two around years the ago. That, that was right around the time that we had we had Aaron on. So we figured two years. It's been enough time. We should <laughs> we should probably have we should probably have Sean on. <laughs> hey, I'm happy to be here. I hope it's worth the wait. Absolutely, um, Sean. We talked about this before the show, but the biggest news in our worlds right now is not the Astros cheating scandal, but instead Star Wars. That is always the biggest news in our world, and as Followers of you on Twitter will know you are a gigantic fan, which is part of the reason that we've brought you here because Star Wars is evergreen. 
Um, let's start here. When did when did it come to you? Was it early on in your life? Did you become a fan later in life? It it came early in life. I you know growing up, um, I want to say um, maybe by the time that I was like ten or twelve years old, um, my dad showed them showed the original trilogy to my me and my brother, and um, there was just something about it that. I, I really latched on to. Um, he showed us lots of you know, older movies. He was a big John Wayne fan. And um, I remember watching uh, other movies like Alien, uh, that trilogy. And um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I really latched on to Star Wars. And then shortly after we saw them for the first time, the, the Phantom Menace came out. Um, so say what you will about Phantom Menace, but for me, I was, I was 13 when it came out. Um, yeah. Cause it came out in 99, right? Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Um, so yeah, I was 12 or 13, depending on, I forget when during the year that it came out, but you know, it was, that was like right in my wheelhouse. And, and then, you know, every time a new movie comes out, it just kind of, uh, reignites my, fandom i guess and and um i i end up going back and watching them so for me like those the original or the the prequels i'm sorry the prequels came out at a time where um uh, i don't know i was uh, i just latched onto them they worked for me back then um i know that they uh, people have opinions as to how well they've they've held up um and i think there are very valid uh, there are very valid <laughs> questions and concerns about them, but, um, they worked for me when I was, when I was, uh, you know, in my teenage years and, um, I've just kind of been a fan ever since. Do you, do you think that there's something sort of innate about your personality or even just the general Star Wars community that makes it land so hard? Like, are you this way about other kind of fantasy epics or is there something specific to the Star Wars world that really appealed to you? I think um, the biggest thing that appealed to me was how complete, um, like the world building was. Um, I'm not. I get into some other fantasy stuff. Um, like I got super into Game of Thrones, but not like I not anything like I you know I, I did to Star Wars. And you didn't carry around also, a sword during the playoffs. <laughs> No, I didn't carry around a sword. Um, I, I carried around a lightsaber. Um, so <laughs> I just I keep cool coming way. back to Star Wars just because of how um, even like the characters in the periphery, um, they all have these like really fleshed out backstories, right? Like the different species. Like there's so much um, information that doesn't even get like touched on in the movies. And then you come to find like, if you go on like Wikipedia, which is actually a thing, yeah. which I love, yeah. um, you know, if you go on Wikipedia, like all of these, all of these peripheral characters have these really, really complex backstories and there's so many different worlds. Um, I think like the, the costumes and the set design, I don't know. There was something about it that just, that just pulled me in. And, um, I love, I love, you know, kind of learning about a lot of that stuff. Um, not just like the way the movies were made, which I think is, is absolutely fascinating, but like the, you know, the stuff that happens 
in and around the galaxy, like even aside from the Skywalker saga. Yeah, it feels like this total Pandora's box, right? Where like, if I mean, if you're a casual fan and you just want to watch the the trilogies that come out every, you know, decade or two, like you can absolutely, absolutely do that and still enjoy the storyline. But, but like there's, if you want to dive into the books or the Clone Wars or all the like encyclopedias that are out there, I mean, I will like, like you'll catch me up late, like Googling Star Wars political compass, just cause like, I want to know how the, how the hell that Senate works. Like, how does that function? <laughs> That's, it's funny that you say that because right now, well, actually I started like a month ago. Um, I, I went, I, st- I've started reading the books actually for the first time. Um, there's a, a, a publishing house, Del Rey has a series of books that are, considered canon in, in the star Wars expanded universe. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I started reading them and, and the first one starts is a story about count Dooku. That's, it, it takes place, um, even before phantom menace comes out. So, um, there's that one. And I've read one about Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan called master and apprentice, which was really good. But like you said, like I'm on, um, I think I'm on my fourth or fifth one right now. I'm reading the book I'm reading right now is called Catalyst, and it's a, a prequel to uh, Rogue One. And um, but I totally get what you're saying because, like, in the books, some they'll be describing a character and they'll be talking about the world that they're from or the species that they are. And I end up looking it up immediately on on Wikipedia, and then I go down a rabbit hole, and I end up yeah. reading. I end up reading the, the you know I'm on the internet, and instead of reading my book, but um, there, <laughs> there's just it's just never ending. And I think it's 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 really really cool how you know what started with you know really a new hope, but you know what started with the original trilogies has continued to grow into this really, really big expanded universe that like fans and other, other writers, other directors have all had a hand in developing. And I like, I I like the way like each, each artist, I guess, for lack of a better term, puts their interpretation and their spin on it um, to help kind of grow this, this whole world. And I just, I'm just captured by it. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah. I think, it's really cool that it's sort of like a Rorschach test for what you want in like a fantasy epic where like you can you can read it as like this deep comment on tax policy or you can just sort of <laughs> right. you can just sort of be like I just like to go to the theater man and I just like to sit down and I want it to blare in my face for two and a half hours <laughs> every two years that it comes out and yeah. I, I find myself like engaging with it in different ways at different periods of my life. Um, I totally agree. Like the way the, the way, like, I, I mean, I loved Phantom Menace when it came out and then, you know, looking back on it, um, you know, now as I've gotten older and I'm a little bit removed from it, like, you know, there's, there's some really, um, uh, I don't know. I'm like Jar Jar Binks, like how, like how, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> like, um, and, and I don't just mean because like, he's a distractingly goofy character, but like, there are some there are some questions about that that need to be asked or addressed about uh, you know what he really might represent in the world that we live in or yeah. like the guys from the Trade Federation that have like 
probably borderline offensive accents. And it's like, Hey, like what, who let this happen? And it's yeah. like, um, or, you know, but even like the original trilogy had, um, you know, there's a lot of imagery with, with the empire, um, you know, things like stormtroopers and like Darth Vader's helmet are very much a part of, uh, you know, Nazis. And it's like, is this a commentary on World War II and the rise of fascism and stuff like that? Or is it just a, a space opera? You know, like, um, there's, there's, I think that's one thing that I like about it is that there's, it works on a lot of different levels. Um, or at least you can, you can enjoy it, like you were saying, through a lot of different lenses and interact with it on a number of different levels. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes it endure, right? And that, that's what like brings it into the present and, and keeps it relevant. Um, okay, so I, I did. I do want listeners to know that I did prepare you for this because it would be a really messed up thing to ask you to do to rank the movies with no preparation time. But I, Alex and I want to run through our list with you. But uh, we okay. want to know first what... I guess we should count down from worst to best and, and leave it as a carrot dangling out in front. What Ooh, do you, you want to start at the bottom, Sean? <laughs> I like I like that. Yeah, this is your list. I'm happy to start if you'd like. Get, let's give me your list as the guest. I want you to give me your list. Okay, and then I'll tell I'll, and then and then I'll tell you if it's right or not. How yes. about that? You're like the critic. You know, we're Probably giving yeah. you we're giving you the content, and you're giving us. Do your you feedback. guys do you guys have the same list? Oh uh, no, we I don't think we did <laughs> on, on, some, <laughs> on some big flashpoints. <laughs> what about did you did you include Rogue One and Solo in your in your list? I put it on mine. Yeah, yeah, I have it on my lists. Okay, Alex, you want to go first? Uh, y- sure. Yeah. All right. Pave the way. Um, I don't think that we need to uh, to dive too deep into any one rabbit hole with uh, with explanations here because you could go you could go on and on um, <laughs> about uh, about Darth Maul or Qui Gon Jinn or whatever it is. Um, yes, but um, so at the at the bottom, which feels mean, dirty to say because <laughs> I like them all. <laughs> but, right, um, right. Yeah, let's is, just get that out there. Right. Yeah. Now. Exactly. Is it? Is it? They're all they're all good and fun and enjoyable. Some are just better than others. <laughs> uh, so at the bottom, I have uh, episode two. Yeah. Just above that is episode one. Um, and then I have solo. Oh. Uh, before that, oh, I'm I wrote this down in Roman numerals, so just doing a little <laughs> doing a little bit of work in my head. I wrote the titles <laughs> like a normal person. <laughs> um, just above solo, I have uh, I have episode nine, the rise of Skywalker. Okay, so wait, just a real quick interruption, so I don't have to read these all over and over again, and for it to get grading for the listeners. We're the same so far, except I've swapped solo and rise of Skywalker. So you have oh, wow. gotcha. Okay. 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 Um and then I have uh I have six and then I have seven. Uh and then into the top five I have Rogue One and then episode three, which is criminally underrated, uh episode four, episode five, and rounding it out at number one, episode eight, The Last Jedi. Wow. All the way at number one. All the way at number one. That's that's really something. Okay, I'll run through mine real quick. So I, I said I'm scared to see where you placed it. I'll go from the bottom up. Clone Wars, Phantom Menace, Rise of Skywalker, Solo. 
Um, I have Force Awakens at number seven. Uh, Revenge of the Sith at number six. Last Jedi at number five. Return of the Jedi at number four. Rogue One, A New Hope. And then my number one is Empire Strikes Back. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Very vanilla, Very Bobby. Vanilla? What? It's pop culture. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. I I so I would have I'm gonna I'm gonna start at the beginning. Okay. Um and and also I think that these lists are at least for me, it's subject to change and it's probably changed, you know. Every year it probably changes. Whenever yeah. like a new Star Wars comes out, or um, it kind of changes things. And I try not to. I try not to have recency bias or anything like that. But and some of the movies have like sentimental value to me too, right? So, um, but I would start. Empire is my favorite, um, and then I would have the. I, I would have the Last Jedi. Um, I really liked it. And, it's so good. Um, I really liked it, and and ma- and Rise of Skywalker might have actually made me appreciate it more. Um, and then and then I have New Hope at th- at three. I have Rogue Rogue One at four, um, and then I have I'm doing this all off the top of my head because I want it to be I organic. Love it. Oh, this um, is incredible. At f- at five, um, I have Return of the Jedi. Um, at six, I would have Force Awakens. At seven, I would have I would have Solo. At eight, I would have Revenge of the Sith. At nine, I would have Rise of Skywalker. Ten would be ten would for me. Ten would be Clones, and eleven would be Phantom Menace. Okay. We're all like, nice. we, we have, we have, I think we've created some tiers collectively. Yeah, we have. You know, we yeah. kept them all in the same tiers with the exception of Alex putting Last Jedi at the very, very top. Uh, I think we, we're all aligned <laughs> on our <laughs> tiers. I, just roast me. <laughs> I, I respect it. No, I, I think it's totally valid. It's definitely my favorite of anything that, um, that has been done with Star Wars since, you know, Disney bought Lucasfilm. Um, and I really liked, I really, really liked Rogue One. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. But there's, there's, I, I liked, I, I, just, I really liked Luke's arc in, in, in The Last Jedi. And it was a little darker. It was a little different. It wasn't as predictable. I could have, I think the only thing for me that keeps it from being one, uh, the Canto Bite uh, adventure, it, it felt, it felt very prequels to me. Yeah. And, and, um, I, it was it was also like a, a really really long part of the movie, <laughs> yeah. but um, but I like the rapport that that Finn and Rose have, and I we didn't get any of that in Rise of Skywalker, and I was yeah. I was really bummed by that. Yeah, much I yeah. think much to all of our chagrins, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think what what was so incredible I think about the last Jedi is like the way it expanded the worldview of like what star Wars could be. Right. Is like, yes. is like you have this singular storyline that is really like propelling the movies, the entire franchise forward. And it's about the Skywalkers and all of a sudden Ryan Johnson, whether, whether you like it or you didn't, he just kind of blew everything up. And the, I mean, it's, 
Luke throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder is like, I mean, it's just stunning artistry. Yeah, I loved it. And I saw it. That reminds me of a tweet I saw actually like within the past couple of days. And it said like, it was basically saying about how Star Wars fans, at least a portion of the fan base, will freak out if somebody does something related to the Force if they haven't shown like a 10 minute montage of them training <laughs> in a, in a Jedi temple or with Yoda. And I just thought it was so perfect. Um, you know, because we saw the way that, that Leia used the force in last Jedi and people freaked out about it. Yeah. And, and I'm like, listen guys, it's a space opera with laser swords and wizards. <laughs> and, it's, and like, it's probably within the realm of possibility for someone who's, Luke's sibling to be force sensitive. I don't think that's a stretch. Like yeah. we didn't, yeah, we're, we didn't <laughs> we're already suspending belief a little bit here. We're making jumps to light speed guys. <laughs> yeah. And like, while we're at it, if you're okay, if you're saying people started talking about like the laws of space regarding that scene with Leia and last Jedi. And it's like, if you're really that concerned about it, there's no way that the bombs would drop in, in at the very beginning of the movie when they're attacking the dreadnought like and the the bombs they wouldn't just fall down there's no gravity in space so the, <laughs> so the bombs would just like leave the cargo bay and like float uh, into nothing and it's like it's like look like we've you have to just be willing to enjoy certain parts of it because if you get if you get really into like the physics of it like Neil deGrasse Tyson was like riffing about how like BB-8 couldn't go on sand. And I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> like, I know you're an astrophysicist, but like, come on. I don't, no, don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You don't go, need to be your off, profession. <laughs> you don't need to be your profession when you go to the movie theaters. You could just be a person, you know? There are certain, there are, I think there are legitimate, there are legitimate critiques of, of the franchise and especially, Rise of Skywalker and and stuff like that um, that I think are very valid and every, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, but you know, and just because I love it, um, just because I love Star Wars, does not mean I'm, I'm I'm blind to that. I think there are very, you know, there there's very worthy criticism out to be had out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what what hurt me most being a fan and like coming to Episode Nine and seeing that scroll is just like. You guys just didn't plant this seed, you know, like you didn't. It's just like, all right, he's back. It sort of felt like a dope moment. Like, what is going on here? Oh like, my, yeah, the second I saw the exclamation mark, I was like, like what are we doing? This oh, is that's not, what's going this, on. This reads like a sarcastic tweet, you know? Are they subtweeting us? Like, yes, exactly. When, when I saw it, I saw it opening night. Um, we were actually in, um, my wife and I were in. Colorado. We were visiting some family uh, ahead of the holidays, but we carved out some time to see it. And um, you know, when when the the, free, the previews finally end and the lights go down, the guy who's sitting next to my wife and my wife's an, an absolute trooper. She's not. She puts up with Star Wars. She's not like a fan, um, which I, I I really really appreciate. Um, you know, her being willing to to put our vacation on pause to go see Star Wars. Um, but the guy next to her who was by himself, like he wasn't in a group of people, um, the lights go down and uh, like the music is about to start and he goes, all right, 
to himself, he goes, all right, don't mess this up. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was like, and I was like, oh my God, that's a, that's, that's one heck of a mood to bring to a star Wars. Movie. Yeah, and, and then the, and then the crawl starts and like the, the music's blasting and I can, he- I hear him go, come on. Like, and, and and I'm like, look, I get it, but like, and I'm ner- and I'm nervous about this too because I'd started, to, I'd seen some of the some of the initial reviews, but I was like, you're not helping, man. Like, I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm really trying to to be here, but um, no, I, I I totally agree. And and I heard since the movie has come out, J.J. Um, Abrams and and uh, the the writers, uh, what's the other writer's name? Uh, Terrio. Um, he said, um, they both have said that there was enough material for this to be two movies. Hmm. Um, and they tried to, they, they, they obviously just made one, but why would they not make two if they, if to, to really like give us that backstory? Um, I still think Ray's origin story deserved more than, um, a passing line of dialogue from, from Kylo Ren. Yeah. I'm upset that Finn didn't sort of get his own yes. shine, you know, because like I was yes. so, I was enraptured with that storyline. That was pretty much like the only thing that I really truly loved about Force Awakens because a lot of it was sort of like a run back. And totally. And that was fine. It was like if you want to ingratiate a younger fan base into what made people love the very first Star Wars movie, like that's okay. I'm okay with that. I was frustrated yeah. coming out of it that they didn't take more chances, but last year I had plenty of chances in it for my liking. But the thing that about the first movie that was really so incredible was that here's this guy who is having um, a moral qualm with what he's doing as a stormtrooper, And like, that is an incredible storyline, just like the division within him. And it just kind of got sidelined. And it, you know, if you read some of the reporting about how these movies get written, it's sort of like being written as they go and on the fly. And that's like sort of Disney's, approach to all of this and I just think that that sort of marginalized some of these other characters that really deserved a little more shine. I agree and and the, um, like what's interesting about that though is like the original trilogy was written on the fly like yeah. George Lucas um, didn't know if Han Solo or Harrison Ford as he's known in real life was <laughs> was they didn't know if he was going to be back for episodes 2 or episode five empire strikes back, or he didn't know if he was going to have him again for uh, return of the Jedi because what everybody else signed on for the whole trilogy and he went movie by movie. And um, so what did he do? He froze him in carbonite because he wasn't sure if he was coming back. Yeah. Like, um, the you know, in the first, yeah. And in, in the first movie, you know, a new hope um, Luke and Leia like make out, and then in the third in the third movie, they're like Leia looks at Han and is like, "No, silly, he's my brother." And it's like, <laughs> what? It's like what? Like, come on! Like, yeah, did you have like, that in your head the whole time? <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, con- I think like so, like there's always been some questions about the continuity, but like I just think about the possibilities that are in Finn's storyline being, like you said, having this inner conflict about being a a stormtrooper and um he's the first really major character that we've seen come to grips with what the empire is doing and defect and like granted in in this movie rise of skywalker he does get promoted to general 
but like he is very much in the background and like yeah. I, I want to know what he was going to say to Ray before they fell into the quicksand. Um, I think he got, I think him and, and well, Rose, especially, um, I think that, and I, I, I can't help but wonder if they were pandering to, you know, some of the most toxic parts of the star Wars fan base who really bullied Kelly Marie Tran in, in a very disgusting way after the last Jedi and uh, she said seven words yeah. in, in, in Rise of Skywalker. It was only on screen for less than two minutes. Yeah. And I think there, those are those were two things that I really wish got more attention and more development in the story of Rise of Skywalker. Um, and I mean, since John Boyega is going off on social media, like I know. his contract ended with <laughs> Disney, Disney, and he's he does not he does not give any cares doesn't care at all <laughs> him and and i mean and oscar isaac too like they've both been very critical of of the the way that this final episode went and i i, I can't say i blame them uh especially when especially when finn spends three movies essentially um, making sure Ray is always okay. He's always wondering where she is. He's always like on his way back to her to find her. Um, he obviously, he wants to tell her, uh, I think he was going to tell her that he was force sensitive before they fall into the quicksand. Um, and then at the end, like she picks the other guy. Yeah. Like who was, who was standing like Raylo, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it felt like for the first couple, like for the first movie when we were with Finn and when we were with Rose in the second movie also, it's like, it sort of felt like we were following them on like Tumblr or Twitter. We were getting some of their emotions. Then in the last movie, it just felt like we were friends with them on LinkedIn and we were just like seeing what was happening to them and like seeing their their jobs change and like what they were doing professionally for the resistance. And I'm like, all right, like I, I'd like some emotional resonance maybe. I totally, uh, I, I love that analogy. I love it. Forgive the strange metaphor. I don't think it's strange at all. I think you're, I think you're, you're really onto something. And, um, you know, like in the end that Ray picks Ben, um, after she killed him and then, and then brings him back. But like, that's been like, there's been so much drama there and, uh, you know, what can only be described as an emotionally abusive relationship, uh, the way like Kylo just keeps showing up in her thoughts and like messing with her head and messing with her friends and everything she's trying to work towards. He's just messing everything up. And I'm okay with him, you know, with the part where he comes back and he saves her. I think that was actually one of the better parts of the movie right up until, you know, they kiss. And I was like, man, yeah. Yeah, you went for the softball right there. It was just like, all right. And I'm okay. Like, there hasn't been that much romance in Star Wars movies. And, and you know, I'm okay if they wanted to go in that direction. I just, you know, I think she, I just think she would have been happier with Finn. That's all. Hell yes. We we stand... F- f- uh, Finpo. They, they, f- f- Finpo. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> Finpo. And that's, and that's what I said. Somebody said, uh, I was asked um, if... Uh, I thought that they were were done with with Star Wars movies after this, or or maybe what direction they would go, or what I would want to see. And I want I want a Finpo. Um, I don't know if it would be a buddy cop. I don't know if it'd be a rom com. 
I want those guys to just take on the galaxy and um, have fun together because they're. Um, I know they get along really well together in, in real life, but um, those were, were two of my favorite characters that I thought were very underutilized, especially in in the last episode. Yeah, I could absolutely see them in like in like an eighties sitcom, you know, and it's just like <laughs> Finn and Poe, like living at home with their kids. <laughs> like I would, I would watch 12 seasons of that. I would love you it. You just might get the chance on Disney plus <laughs> before we, uh, before we uh, pivot off star Wars. Um, I, are we all in agreement that the, the best star Wars movie of the year was the Mandalorian because oh that my gosh, it, it blew my mind. I, have I loved a, it. I have to make a confession. I have oh, not gosh. yet watched The Mandalorian. Oh my gosh, that's okay. I thought you were going to say something else. No. Um, <laughs> Sean's like, I'm about to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, okay. Well, you should. You, you need to get on that. I know. Um, well, I'm, so I was going to sign up for Disney Plus, and then they got all their credit card info hacked, and I was like, you know, my credit card info is probably. A, everywhere else on the internet i don't need it on disney plus also but um you know i'm getting around to it i'm gonna get there on the flip side your credit card is already everywhere else on the internet so you might as well just lean into it and give it to disney too i might as well just tweet the number out and say disney (laughs) plus please give me an account it's so funny i do the same thing with with some stuff um like on when it comes to signing up for things online but it's so weird how arbitrary arbitrarily will draw the line when like Apple already has like my face, my thumbprint, yeah. all of my banking information. You know, I'm sure they're watching the the front facing cameras of other devices that I have. Yeah. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to sign up for this thing because I don't want to put my information out there. like no i don't want to send my my crash info to developers so they can make the application better (laughs) i wonder if the nsa agent listening to this podcast recording thinks we're doing a good job (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm we're probably i mean goodness gracious no i we're not doing a good job at all i'm looking at my phone and it just opened up because they recognized my face and i'm like that's probably fine <laughs> but you saved half a second so like you know that's the trade-off <laughs> that's probably fine you know i'm sure nothing bad could nothing bad could come from them having my face or my thumbprint that's fine yeah um, okay, so we could talk to you about Star Wars all day, and we would love to, but it's it's getting late here, and we don't want to steal too much of your time. So there's no real elegant transition into the uh, sport that you play as a profession. One last thing. Yeah, I sure. just want to say, I did like Rise of Skywalker. I know we just spent like 20 minutes like <laughs> um, crushing it, basically. I, I did like it. There were yeah. some things, obviously, that I thought uh, I wanted to go different directions. But at the end of the day, like I really was on the edge of my seat during the movie. It was very fast-paced, and um, I would have done some different things. But at the end of the day, it is a Star Wars movie, and, and, and I, I did like it. So uh, yeah. I, just, I, I just wanted to say that. I know every we're very cynical these days, but I did want to say that. I, I still appreciated it. I when when Ray walks through Luke's home on Tatooine mm. at the end of the movie, like I just got chills. You know, it was just kind of like the circle is complete now. You yeah. know, I yeah. the the old and the new have just kind of come together, and I was like, okay, yeah. all right. 
Yeah, there were some good things. I like I love seeing Billy D back in back in the movie. Like uh, there, I I I'm okay with fan service. I'm okay with that stuff because it reminds me of why I fell in love with the movies in the first place and everything that I think is good about Star Wars. So I'm okay with with those references. I know some people thought it was too 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 much fan service, but I I love that stuff, man. Yeah, I did the very cinephile thing and. I, I bought tickets to the Dolby Theater, which is like the thing, the partnership with AMC and Dolby, where it's like it's louder and the screen is bigger. So just sitting there for two and a half hours with that John Williams score, the sound effects, and just watching a lightsaber light up in the dark. I'm like, yeah, money well spent, you know? Yeah. Money well spent. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going to watch it, and I can't wait to watch it more once it comes out on iTunes, and I'll probably end up liking it more than I do right now, which is what happened with, with The Last Jedi. I didn't. I was, I was. liked it when I saw it in the theater, and then I've seen it like two or three times since, and um, actually, well, more than that for sure. Um, <laughs> but I saw, it too, I saw it at least one more time in the theater, maybe twice in the theater, and each time I saw it after that, I, I liked it more and more and, and, and I started to appreciate it, you know, more and more. So, um, you know, I haven't seen, I've only seen Rise of Skywalker that one time, but, you know, after two or three more watches, my, I might, I might feel a little differently about it. I don't know. You might make up your own mythology for how the emperor came back to life. <laughs> I, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna fill in some of these plot holes. Just give me some time. <laughs> give me a pen and paper, baby. <laughs> I feel like so there there might be a little so, bit of a segue. So, so baseball, here. yeah, there might be a little bit of a segue here. Let me see if I can reach for a stretch here. Um, <laughs> I feel like so there there is sort of like this fever pitch of conversation around everything right now, and Star Wars is one of those things. And you alluded to that, just how everyone is kind of cynical and everyone is getting their takes out. And um, Alex and I have experienced that quite a bit in talking about baseball over the last year, and we've had to do some of that as well. Um, I, and I feel like. Now is as hard a time as any to pick a message that really cuts through. And I think in following you on Twitter and seeing what you talk about and what you and Aaron choose to be activists about, um, it, it's really interesting to watch how like you've engaged with the overflow of information and conversation in the baseball world and specifically around something like labor. So I, I wanted to kind of ask you just in transitioning um, what it's like to sort of pick and choose your spots to say something, pick what's really valuable to you and and why you've kind of made that decision to be one of the more outspoken people on issues like that. I think that so much, so many of the causes that Aaron and I have chosen to be vocal about and to support um, are causes that we can, we can speak to from either our own experience or the experience of maybe our family um, or like there are causes that are close to us, um, like with military issues, both, we both come from military families, um, uh, with LGBT issues. Um, you know, Aaron's mom came out to her when she was in high school, um, with you know, refugee issues. Um, you know, Aaron's family, um, you know, came to America to, to flee, um, some of the violence that was happening uh, between Ireland and Northern Ireland in the early 1900s. Um, 
you know, these are these are things that are are um, are, are close to us. And when it comes to the labor issues that you know we got involved in, especially last year, you know, I recognize the fact that I'm a part of one of the most visible and one of the most powerful labor unions in the United States right now. And um, I think a we only got to that point because of uh, you know some of the sacrifices that guys that came before us were willing to make and 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 really toe the line and and, and show solidarity when it really wasn't probably the, the easiest or most popular thing to do um so i i think that we have to carry that mantle very seriously and recognize that we're in a really important position and also too i think that this is a time where you're seeing a decline well we've seen it for the past several decades a decline in uh, in unions and we've seen a lot of union busting um especially you know recently think a lot about you know stuff like amazon comes to mind but like um i think as our platform at, at players association it's important to remember that there is a lot of labor that goes on behind the scenes um a lot of it is union labor that goes on behind the scenes to help us uh, put our game on display and 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 ter- has helped turn it into this twelve thirteen billion dollar a year industry. Um, at the end of the day, we're we're the product on the field, but there's a lot that goes into um, putting on the game from making the uniforms to uh, serving concessions and and stuff at the stadium to the people that are security at the ballpark to everybody in the hospitality industry that is, you know, hosting people while they're traveling to watch their favorite teams play. Um, it's, it's really, really, um, there's a lot going on there. It's this really complex kind of, uh, thing. And, and, and I think that it's important for us to, as a, as a union, as the major league baseball players association, I think it's really, really important for us to show solidarity with these folks that help us, um, put the game on on the biggest stages. It's really interesting kind of seeing the the way that different platforms have opened up over the last decade or two yeah. um, for conversations around these types of things. I mean, for the longest time, um, it, was, it was very much, I feel like these conversations felt very hierarchical and the people at the very top were were allowed to drive the narrative. And that, you know, whether that's about labor and union issues surrounding baseball um, or the culture of the game itself and like unwritten rules and what you're allowed to do and, and what you're not allowed to do. Do you, do you see kind of the, the tide shifting a little bit as more players start to, I guess, take advantage of this opportunity? I mean, what do you see kind of as your, um, as your role as a sort of, spokesperson for the game in in essence i think that um the way that a player can use social media it can be so crucial for the development of the game for attracting new fans and and connecting with our fans on a level that as you mentioned you mentioned like the people at the top of the food chain and 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 um the top of the hierarchy that that they can't do um, we can, it's, it's a little bit of like a grassroots mentality, but like if a player is willing to 
make himself a little bit vulnerable and put himself out there on social media um, and, and interact with fans. I think you can show fans a side of yourself that they wouldn't otherwise see uh, when they're watching a game um, or uh, you know watching you give a, a post game interview or something like that. Um, and I think that if you, I think if you get enough guys doing it. That, that can be a, a really, really effective way to, to grow the game. Um, it can be a, a little bit tough to navigate that social media space um, just because, especially on Twitter, where the you only have a character limit and a lot of things can get lost in context as you try to parse your thoughts into 280 characters, which is why probably much to the annoyance of a lot of my followers, I end up threading a lot of my tweets um, be, because <laughs> I, d- I don't want anything to kind of get lost in contest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, a quick thread, one <laughs> slash question mark. <laughs> uh, we might, you might be here a while. Just this essay, I will explain. Um, but I think and we've seen a lot of players take different approaches to it as well. Um, uh, our younger players with the nationals, uh, guys like Juan Soto and Victor Robles are very, very active on um, like Snapchat and Instagram. Um, I only have Twitter. I think one social media platform is more than enough for me. Um, <laughs> so breaking news, just, no TikTok for Sean Doolittle in 2020? Yeah. <laughs> no TikTok. <laughs> no, but um, you know they, they, they had some really, really cool videos and, and stuff that they shared from our celebration and our run during the World Series. Um, that I know a lot of fans really, really loved. And um, like guys like, like Gerardo Parra is really active on Instagram and stuff. And um, I think, I think fans, um, it gives fans something to connect with. And, and at the end of the day, I think the best way to, to grow the game and to increase, uh, you know, fan participation is, is through the players. And I think we have, so many players in our league that have really unique um, personalities have really interesting backstories. Um, and, and I wish that those were the things that were shared and promoted. Um, and I think that's why players weekend is such a big hit every year. Um, players as players, we love it. Um, it's one of our favorite. Um, it's definitely one of the highlights of the season. Um, I, I, I think every weekend should be players weekend. Um, you know, you get to wear fun cleats, you get to wear your nickname on your Jersey and players get to, you get to use bats that, that have fun color schemes. And, um, I don't know. I think, I, I I think that should be more the norm. Um, it should certainly happen. I wish it happened more than one weekend during the season because I think fans really gravitate towards it. They want to see what the players do with their cleats. They want to see what the nicknames are on the back of their jerseys. Like I think there's, um, it's a lot of fun. And, and I think that is, is a really, really great example of what we could do uh, as far as, you know, growing the game. Once you, if you're, if the league is willing to put the the players themselves at the forefront. I mean, it's all fun and games uh, until I see Victor Robles ranking the last Jedi outside of his top three. (laughs) And then, and then all of a sudden I think I know a little too much. (laughs) Well, I think, I think back to something like um, the Tim Anderson bat flip from earlier in the year. And that conversation became very fraught, very fast because of all of the columnists going each and which way and, people tweeting their thoughts 
probably a little too quickly and whatnot. But then you see Tim Anderson log on and you just see him share his thoughts and and say why he flipped his bat like that and why he plays that way and why he wants to play loud and that kind of thing. And I think, well, at least this is better than not being able to hear immediately from Tim Anderson and and what he was thinking in that process. And um, I think that's a little bit of a, a positive beam of light in that respect. Yeah, it gives player a little bit more control over... Um, maybe explaining some of their actions. Um, in a case like that, um, there was a case, um, like I know for me personally, last season, um, I had an issue when I was pitching against the Cubs. Um, there were questions raised in, in the inning I was pitching about my delivery and whether or not it was an illegal delivery. And we, we had, we stopped the, the game like three times uh, to bring the umpires together, um, to, so that they could talk about it and they, they looked at it on video and they determined that I, I was good to go. But like, you know, afterwards, like I wanted to, uh, I, I, I think I, I fired off a couple of tweets about, about it afterwards. And I think, um, it gives players an opportunity to maybe explain certain things or provide some context it, it, that they might not otherwise have in a post game interview, or maybe they want to add something or, um, you know, amend something that they said. So I think that is, it can be another really, really positive use of, uh, of social media. But the other thing too, is like to use that Tim Anderson bat flip as, uh, as an example. I loved it by the way. Um, I, I think that it showed that there's a lot of people and, and I have this issue with some, with some of the, like the broadcasters that, that call some of these games. And you, you see some people in the media that, that cover our sport that are, are really, really resistant to playing the game with a, a certain energy and the direction that the game is going with some of the young talent that we have in our sport. Um, they're just really, really reluctant to embrace that stuff. And they don't want to see the game change they don't want to see players showing too much emotion, um, you know, good, bad, or otherwise on the field. And and sometimes, like when you're watching a game, it sounds like the the people that are calling the game are apologizing for the game. And and mm. um, I don't think that's like a, a really. I don't think that's a good thing for our sport. I think one thing that makes the NBA so great is like you can you can feel the energy from the 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 guys that are calling the game or, or, um, or whoever's calling the game, like Doris Burke, like you can, um, you can hear the energy and the excitement that they have, uh, in their voice when they're calling the game, even the game's changed so much, um, in the past, you know, 20 years. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's celebrated. Those changes are celebrated a lot more. Um, I think that's why everybody loves when Tony Romo calls a football game, uh, because he the the you can tell that he's passionate about the sport, and um, you know you love hearing like the energy in his voice, and you don't always get that in baseball. And I think it would it, it's a small change, but I think it could go a long way in in helping you know, grow our game. Not to draw everything back to Star Wars, but it feels like the same kind of affliction where it's like if you're if you're just going to the game prepared to like you know brace yourself and and criticize the turn then then it's like well why why are you showing up you know like you should yeah. be you should kind of be embracing the the way that the game is growing and the 
the the new directions that it's going because it's fun. It's when you sit back and watch it. I I think it's the of official um, opinion of tipping pitches that baseball pretty pretty fun. Yeah, we, I think right. I think all of us uh, all of us enjoy watching it. No so, reason to uh, be grumpy. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, no reason to be grumpy. I think one thing, and I I've said this a couple times, and and uh, I really mean it. I think that if we change what it means to respect the game and play the game the right way, I think we could we could move the needle forward with a lot of this stuff. Like if you if you change the the definition of respecting the game to being um, like seeing the way a player has fun when he's playing the game, how much he appreciates the opportunity to play in the major leagues, and how much he appreciates. Um, the way that he was able to come through in a big moment for his team uh, in in a high pressure situation, um, if he gets a big hit um, and he's you know standing on first base, pounding his chest, or if he, he's yelling at his it, it back into his own dugout, uh, firing firing up the boys, or guy gets a big punch out and you know he flexes on him and he screams a little bit uh, on the mound. Um, you know, I think that's awesome. Or I'm okay if a guy flips his bat or or watches his home run. Um, I think it, it loses some of its effect when home runs are flying out of the ballpark at record rates because of a <laughs> of a juice ball. But that, that's that's yes, probably a whole. Speak it. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that's another. That's probably another podcast. Add but that like, asterisk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's just to say, like. As long as none of these celebrations or shows of emotion are directed directly at an opposing player and they're directed um, back towards your dugout um, or to your teammates, I think that's okay. Um, there was a lot made about Bregman's bat flip in the World Series, and I thought it was uh, it was just more awkward than anything else. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I didn't take offense to it. I mean, he hit a he was struggling in, in the playoffs. He admitted as much, and he hit a big home run in a big spot. And um, you know, I can't imagine what that adrenaline rush is like. And um, I thought. I thought Juan Soto had the per. I know people got mad at Juan Soto too, but I thought he had the perfect response to it. By the um, to you know, if you're going to do that to us, you know, we got something for it. We can do it back to you. And yeah. the fact that that Soto had said that he saw what Bregman did and he thought it was pretty cool, so he wanted to do something <laughs> like that too. I mean, this guy's this guy's 21 years old and he's planning out his home run celebrations in, in the World Series and. Um, I just think it's awesome. He plays the game. He has a lot of fun playing baseball. Yeah. I probably would I, I would too if I was that good, but like um <laughs> he, he loves everything about baseball and I think I think he's he's so much fun to watch play and I'm really lucky that I get to to see him play on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, when you when you were describing just kind of like reframing the narrative around what it means to play the game the right way, you're basically just describing Juan Soto. <laughs> yeah, man. He plays the game really hard. He has fun playing the game. Um I I think I think he does it right. I think he he has that he has that balance between um showing some flair, playing the game with some personality, you, you know, the Soto shuffle. Um you know, he he does flip his bat sometimes. Um but at the end of the day like he still runs hard to first base whenever he 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 doesn't hit a home run. Um, he he's worked really really hard on his defense and has improved a lot at, at left field over the past couple of years. Um, so 
I, I think you're right. I think he's an example of a guy that is able to play the game. Um, however you define the right way, I think he, I think he plays the game the right way. There's a little something for everybody there. Yeah. The idea that someone like Soto or, or Yasiel Puig like disrespects the game, like you think Yasiel Puig disrespects, like I don't know that anyone respects it more than him. He, he licks his bat. He might respect it a little, <laughs> a little too much. Like <laughs> he's just happy to be there. And that's, and you can, you can tell in, in everything that these guys do. Yeah. He fought a whole team okay, <laughs> by himself. He fought after the entire team by himself yeah. after being traded. Oh my gosh. That was, that was, I mean, that was, I, that's certainly a mood. Okay. That's, uh, <laughs> that that but, photo. Um, but I, I think too, I think a lot of this, um, I think a lot of the questions about how you play the game and when it comes to bat flips and showing emotion during the game, a lot of it, I think, unfairly gets directed towards Latin players. And um, I think that's really unfair because I think, in in my experience, um, players that come from Latin America, um, they appreciate the game as much, if not more, than any other player you know, I've been around because of, for a lot of them, it's, it's their, it's their ticket to, to give their family a better life. It's their ticket to help their family get out of poverty, or maybe, um, so many of them become American citizens and, and, and bring their families to the United States so that, um, they're safer and then they, they can go to better schools and, um, all the while giving back, using baseball as a way to give back to their, to their home country. Um, so I think, that 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 flair and that energy um i i don't think it i don't think it can be questioned i think the game is everything to them um and uh you know i i i think it's i think it's good for us look at look at the the emotion that gets showed during the world baseball classic and everybody loved the, the last one was incredible lindor's like, home run for puerto rico was uh, like i icon- instantly iconic Incredible. Uh, speaking of Lindor, he the Indians played in the Indians played in, in Puerto Rico last year, right? And he hits a big home run, and you know he I think he flipped his bat or he watched it or he did something. But after the game, he he felt like he had to apologize for the emotion that he showed, and yeah. and he apologized after the game. And I'm like, are you kidding me? After what Puerto Rico has been through. Um, you know, with Hurricane Maria and, and he comes back to, to his home country, his home country, right? He's from Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he hits a big home run in, in that spot. Are you kidding me? Like show all the emotion that you want. That's awesome. I think that's incredible. And, and, and I, I, it broke my heart that afterwards that he felt like he had to apologize. And, and he's another guy that I think, um, he plays the game hard and, and he has a, a, a great personality and, and he's so much charisma. He's, he's so good. Um, I think he's awesome for our sport. He's definitely a tipping pitch's favorite. Um, okay, Sean, we have stolen so, so much of your time and we're very appreciative of it. One final question here. So it's, it's long been a stance of this podcast that baseball needs more pop cultural moments. It needs more content. It needs more TV, it needs more movies, et cetera, et cetera. The more, the better, because we love this sport so much. I mean, Alex and I came up with an idea to create um, basically NBA Christmas Day, but on July 4th for baseball. So that's the oh, level yeah. of commitment that we have to pop yeah. culture surrounding baseball. We've asked Aaron this in the past. Longtime listeners will hopefully remember if they're, if they're still around. We want you to create a baseball reality television show. So with a current 
or a, a recently retired player where they just get their own reality television show to rock. Who are you choosing and what are they doing on this reality TV show? So you guys asked me this question and um, gave me some time to think about it before we recorded the podcast. And I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't sure what you meant by reality show, but here's, here's what I immediately thought when you guys asked this question. We're open to um, any interpretation. Yes. And I, I'm playing, I might be playing a little fast and loose with the, with the term reality show here, but um, I would love, and I would watch the heck out of this. I would love a, a show with Stephen Vogt that does Ugh, like yeah. that does like improv or sketch comedy. It could be it could maybe be like a whose line is it anyway type situation with him and 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 other baseball players, or it could be it it could be like sketches, um, like an SNL situation. Um, but he is he's a comedic genius, and he's one of the best people in this game. And I know like he's, he's really, you know, he's, if anybody's ever seen like his interviews on intentional talk or um, he's, he's incredible. And he has, he kind of, he has, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much of it away, but he has several like characters that he's like kind of created. And, um, the one that got the most play was, was the referee that he did the, the, um, the interview with. And, He's also, but he's also like, he takes it like pretty seriously, like seriously enough that like, I think it was last off season. He, he actually came to Chicago and went to second city, which is like, um, for people that don't know, it's like a really, really famous, um, it would it be like an improv, like, yeah, like an improv group, like a sketch like comedy. Yeah. yeah. And like a lot of, um, really successful comedians have come out of there. Um, it's an SNL pipeline. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and, um, he kind of, he got like a tour. He, he, he worked, um, uh, he did some stuff with the, uh, the current, uh, I don't know if they're called a cast or, or com- comedy troupe, improv group, whatever. He did, he did some, uh, some classes with them. And, um, so I think like, um, I was thinking a reality show more just in the fact that it would be unscripted, not like a uh, keeping up with the Kardashians reality show, but <laughs> yeah, like not like Big like Poppy's cooking show. But I do think I do think that there would be some really cool that there there could be an opportunity for some really cool like you know behind the scenes content with players, whether it's 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 them in the off season. Um, I don't know if I don't know if you could do like a like a MTV crib style show or I think Pete, I think people would actually would, would love to see like what players do in the off season to, to like stay ready um, for the, and how they get ready, like on their own time. Um, But like, I totally agree with you that baseball needs more like pop culture infusion and it needs, uh, uh, and I think we have, I think we have a lot of the personalities that, that could do it. Um, but I don't know. And I, and I think, you know, part of that might be where social media comes in. It kind of picks up the slack for, and the players end up doing their own, um, brand building, so to speak, um, in the absence of a lot of that stuff. But so that's my pitch. Um, Steven vote, 
as host of a, an improv comedy show. Yeah, let let Stephen vote host SNL twenty twenty. That's the that's the campaign. <laughs> that would be that would be awesome. That would be so awesome. I'm trying to think of like whose line is it anyway puns. Clearly, I'm not the improv guy because all I came up with was like <laughs> whose glove is it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> whose uh, pitch is it? No, that's not it. See, this is why we need vote. I wanted to say one more thing about players and like pop culture and like behind the scenes, like all access style yeah. uh, productions. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the World Series documentary. Um, but like after it came out, there was a lot of um, speculation that the producers and the people that made the documentary thought that the Astros were going to win the World Series because um, in addition to showing the highlights and the way that the games unfolded, they also did some behind the scenes stuff. But all the behind the scenes stuff was done with Astros players. Like they went to Carlos Correa's house for breakfast and um, his family was there and um, there was a, a segment with uh, Robinson Chirinos and his son uh, taking like batting practice before a game, and um, it was that stuff was really well done. But like there wasn't anything like that from a, a Nationals player, and we got in, invited to do a, a lot of that stuff. Like um, the producers asked if they wanted to come over to my house for breakfast before game three. And they wanted to follow me to the field before game four. Cause I, I walked to the field and, um, you know, there was just so much going on in the, in it being my first world series that I know a lot of us, uh, were reluctant to do that kind of stuff. And there's already so much attention and inherent pressure, but like the media that was at the world series, uh, I've been lucky enough to be selected to play in two all-star games and I've never seen anything like that before. So that was just like a, a, a little bit too much. And uh, yeah. a lot of guys politely declined, but um, I think too, like it's so rare in our game when you do have opportunities to do something like that, that you, you, you almost feel like you're being a little bit of a diva if you do say yes to doing it. Um, so we just, so I, players are reluctant to do it because, um, they might feel like it brings a little bit more or a different kind of attention to them and, and to their, their performance on the field, maybe. Um, because if you, if you, if you have a bad game, people are like, oh, well, he shouldn't have been doing that thing. Uh, he should have been getting ready for the game. And it's like, that's not necessarily like fair to say, but people, you know, people do say it, but like got players are, are, are very conscious of that. So I think if there was more of this stuff, that, that kind of stuff would go away. Players would feel more comfortable doing it. It wouldn't feel like such a one-off thing. Like, Oh my gosh, did you see the behind the scenes with, with, you know, I don't know, um, David Ortiz. Like, um, it was just, it, it could just be like another, another thing just some more content yeah well it goes back to what you were saying earlier i think in letting players kind of do this on their own terms right and right now it feels so ripe for that sort of thing just because there are so many channels to get that message out so you know you can do yeah. that that 15 20 minute behind the scenes documentary that goes up on youtube but you can also just like hop on Instagram and show people your like breakfast routine on Instagram stories or something like that. Right. And right, like totally right. unfiltered, but like when, when you feel like you're in 
the space to do that. And right. I, I think you're right that fans would would just love the pulling back of the curtain. If A-Rod's YouTube channel is any indication of how much I would love the pulling back of the curtain, even though that stuff is very orchestrated and planned ahead of time, I mean, it's just gold. It's a gold mine. Sean, if you've never watched <laughs> I've it, I've never seen it. You've I've got never it. seen it. We'll oh shoot you gosh. some links of the best videos. We'll curate A-Rod's we YouTube do, channel for you. We should do like a live watch where like we watch <laughs> it and then add like commentary maybe. We, uh, we, funny enough that you say that, we actually did that as a segment on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no but we But we only did the first episode. So you're, you're invited back for when we, uh, when we do the live watch of episode two. Yeah. That's funny. Popcorn oh, roundtable like, for A-Rod's YouTube channel. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know like Alex Bregman has his own YouTube channel and I've seen a couple of those videos and I think they're really well done. Um, uh, and, and I think it's, uh, he's one of the guys like that uses some of those social media and some of the, the those platforms, um, to kind of build, I hate saying like build your brand. It sounds so corny, but like, that's what it is at the end of the day. And, and, um, another, another, another huge, well, I think he's a free agent right now, but Colin, Colin McHugh had a, has a podcast Yeah, and, um, I'm not just saying this cause I was a guest on it, but like, cause I've listened, <laughs> I've listened to all the episodes, even the ones I wasn't on and they're great. And I think, uh, I, I want to say this Trevor Williams, uh, of the pirates. I think he has one too. Yeah. Um, so you're starting to see players, um, make some inroads and, and try to almost like solve this themselves. Um, and I think that's really cool. I think player driven content is, um, kind of the next, uh, frontier. And I think you're seeing players figure out how to navigate social media and these, some of these spaces into, and they're doing some really, really cool stuff. So yeah. you're going to stick to, uh, to Twitter for now. Just, just the, you're the resident Mandalorian memes poster. <laughs> Yeah, I, I run a uh, I run a Baby Yoda Stan account. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, like the content we need, so it's eating up a lot of your time. Like, yeah, I mean, sometimes like my brain breaks and I need to take a break from Twitter. Like last year um, in in August, September, and all throughout the playoffs, I I, I deleted Twitter off my phone just because I season wasn't going the way that for me personally that it was I wanted it to go and we were kind of at a crossroads I, I found myself on the injured list in in, uh, in August and I had to I really had to focus on on that stretch run and mm-hmm. during the playoffs there's just so much there's so much going on there's so much distraction that um, I ended up using the news app on my on my phone um, it's it's okay. Um, <laughs> Sean Doolittle reviews the news app. <laughs> Hour two of the pod. I love the thing about the the thing about the news app though is if if it stinks, it's your own fault because you you, you, <laughs> you pick what you want to read about. Yeah, yeah, you go through and you pick the topics and the and the publications you want to read stuff from. So that's it, it. You know, it's just not. I was like, I found myself like refreshing it and like, I was like, update, like stuff's happening and I want to read about it, but I don't want to go on Twitter. Like, and it's just like, it's just not the same. We're so used to having stuff, um, right away. Um, even if it's not factually accurate right away, you just want the, sometimes you just want those takes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We crave the takes. We crave the content. Well, (laughs) Sean, you've given us so much content. We've, we've spanned from Star Wars to labor in baseball, to pop culture surrounding the game, a reality sketch comedy show with Stephen Vogt. 
If there are any other baseball players listening who would like to create their own pop culture like Sean did coming on Tipping Pitches today, we would love to have you. This is a would be a great outlet for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we really, really appreciate your time so much. This was so much fun to chat with you. And I know um, we, we took a little bit more than, than we had originally asked for, but it was a lot of fun to chat with you tonight. Hey man, it's all good. I had a lot of fun and, and I'll be listening to you guys. I love your, I love the podcast. So keep, keep the content coming <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, uh, hopefully we get to catch up in real life at some point. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. And, uh, and go apologize to Aaron for us. We, <laughs> I, I hope she, has, she. I hope she hasn't been been bored to tears downstairs for too long. Oh no, she's having a blast. She she uh, she's doing a puzzle. Um, wow, she right on. Pu- she, she loves puzzles and she's really really good at them. I'm terrible at them, and she doesn't let me help. So, um, well, we I'm, all have I'm our awful. skills in life, you know. You're a professional baseball pitcher, and and she's a theologian. She's a theologian with two master's degrees and is really good at uh, puzzles. And uh, but um, no, I it, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. I had a lot of fun. haven't had enough guests to really do like a Mount Rushmore of guests, but whenever we do, Sean Doolittle, first face being carved into the mountain. <laughs> what a guy. Yeah, seriously, thank you so much to, to Sean for lending so much of his time on his wedding anniversary, no less, to talk about the, the merits of the rise of Skywalker and how Rose got too little screen time. Justice for Rose. Um, but thank you so much, Sean. We really appreciated that. Yeah. And if you're a listener and you're listening this late in the podcast, I feel like we're close. You know, you're our friends. So we'll just pull you behind the curtain a little bit. It was a it was a disaster on the technical side. And Sean oh Doolittle stuck goodness. it through. Like you cannot <laughs> even imagine. We just refreshed the page so many times. It was wild. <laughs> like you thought you thought it was hard like winning a world series championship no like sean doolittle proved his true grit as a team player right here today on, <laughs> on tipping pitches, pitches. <laughs> um if you're a new listener if you're an old listener we really appreciate it um we love five star ratings in itunes and we love if you would tell someone else to subscribe or you subscribe yourself to our podcast um and we will be back next week to talk more about the actual news in the baseball world, the Astros and the cheating scandal, but we didn't want to sully this very fun, very wide-ranging conversation with Sean Doolittle with a big, heavy topic up top. So uh, we'll be back next week with more of that and more of the good Tipping Pitches content. <laughs> Just more baseball content. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. We'll see you next week. Ooh, really had to move. That's why if you please...